Montessori is more a language you speak rather than a device you buy. Hi, I'm Alana Gallo. I'm a teacher, a mom to four, and the founder of Play, Learn, Thrive. Join me as I chat with real parents and experts as we explore all things play and child development. It's time to take the focus away from you and put the responsibility of playtime back into your kiddos' hands. So if you're tired of planning, leading, and facilitating play sessions, you've found the right place. Each week, we'll explore the importance of play and how it supports child development, along with simple ways to incorporate play in a purposeful way, so you can raise confident, self-motivated kids who enjoy playing independently. Hey guys, it's Alana here from Play, Learn, Thrive. And today I am here with Rachel Kincaid, who is a Montessori certified mom who is homeschooling. And she's going to talk to us a little bit about sort of the basics of Montessori and then how we can implement Montessori philosophy in our home. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself and just give us a little bit of background. Great. Well, I'm happy to be here, Alana. Thanks for the invite. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. I've been here now about 30 years. Um, So I grew up here and now I'm a mommy uh, in town and I'm having a lot of fun. My children were able to go to a Montessori school that I helped co-found here in the area. And one has aged out and I now homeschool him. And then with the pandemic, the other one came home and we ended up getting in a really good groove. Uh, and she's four, she'll be five. And so we've done a lot and learned a lot about just homeschooling along the way with the Montessori flavor. And so I really like those both, both of those perspectives that I'm able to bring. And there's other projects that I do. I do plenty of work with a large teacher training institute. We can talk more about that. And I'm, I'm so I'm kind of knee deep in uh, or neck deep in Montessori and, you know, kind of getting to know the homeschool groups as well, the homeschool community as well with that Montessori lens. So I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, no, I'm happy to have you. So as I think I was telling you before, my kids go to a Montessori school and I absolutely love it. I just love their, you know, the philosophy, the vibe of the classroom, how clean and how peaceful it is. And and that's like so important to me, just like that visual aesthetic of, you know, beauty and, and them really taking all that in. So I would love for you to share. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty well read in the Montessori philosophy because I, you know, I have been doing some reading about it and we kind of take a lot of the basics and try to implement that at home. But I would love to hear from your perspective, just kind of a quick background for people who maybe aren't familiar with Montessori, like what it's all about. What's the, just kind of giving like a whole overview. Yeah, absolutely. You know, once you see Montessori, it's hard to forget that it exists, but you could go your whole life, your whole career, raising all your children and have never heard about it. It's kind of like, it's kind of the best kept secret, I would say, in education, even though it's been around uh, for about a hundred years. And, you know, Montessori has evolved over time, but just briefly for some of your listeners that might not be as familiar, Dr. Maria Montessori from Italy back in the early 1900s, just as a little background, she was very ambitious and she went to school to be an MD and things were different back then, as you can imagine. And, you know, she wasn't given a wide berth to uh, practice medicine in Italy at that time. Um, She was a woman and it was very male dominated. And so the leaders uh, in the medical field at that time in her community said, you know what? You've got this degree, but we're not going to let you practice. Why don't you take care of these special needs kids 
in this orphanage, basically. And why don't you just babysit them? Because that's what you can do. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. She taught these children how to read and write, how to take care of themselves. So there was the physical component, began to make their environment very aesthetically pleasing, very harmonious. So that's what you were picking up on uh, in your children's school that, that has stood the test of time. And she began to realize that children, whether they had special needs or not, were voracious about learning. They had so many capabilities that at that time, People just overlooked. And I think we still suffer with that a little bit today in thinking that it's the higher education that we really need to put our focus on. I'm a former high school teacher. And so that was what I got my degree. And I went to University of North Carolina and I was going to be a hard charging high school teacher. And I was going to dominate the, the high school and, and enjoy, you know, enjoy that age group. Well, when I stumbled upon Montessori just as a summer job, uh, after my first summer, you know, it was it was like I couldn't forget what I had seen. And although I was a little bit afraid of interacting with the younger children, the fact that we have learned so much from Dr. Montessori and a lot of research since then really opened the world up to me understanding that children truly do absorb the world around them. And it's a neurological proven fact that, as, as you know, you can um, drive your children around and they would point out McDonald's and Burger King and all of that because it's imprinted in their mind uh, what these symbols mean. You could speak to them in another language and they will pick it up flawlessly. In fact, I have a one-year-old at home right now. I speak to her probably 90% in Spanish and she picks it up perfectly. One of her first words was "si." My two-year-old too, my au pair was speaking Spanish almost exclusively to my two-year-old and she understands everything. Absolutely. It's amazing. So, so amazing. We could take a trip right now to Asia and we could say, okay, we're going to be immersed in uh, Japan and we're going to learn Japanese. And as adults, we would learn it and we would academically attack that, but we would never get away from maybe some of those accents that we just weren't able to pick up. Well, children don't do that because they truly have a very plastic mind. And so that's what Dr. Montessori began to see. So without going too, too far, you know, into the woods there, I'll just say that from an academic uh, standpoint, I just fell in love with Montessori because we're able to teach children really up to about age seven, anything. We can teach them geometry and beginning algebra, and we can teach them all kinds of scientific names for, for animals and plants around us. And we can teach them what we call grace and courtesy, just greeting somebody you know, when they come into a room, that type of thing. So we can talk more details there, but I'll just say I was captivated. And I never looked back at that point. And since then, I've had the privilege to uh, co-found a school. I've had the privilege to author a book and do some other really interesting things in the Montessori world. And I also homeschool my children with the Montessori flavor. So um, if that gives your listeners just a brief snapshot of uh, some of the really great facets of Montessori, hopefully that maybe start some curiosity where they can do maybe some more research or reach out to a local Montessori school in their community. Absolutely. So I guess the next thing that I would love from you is just maybe some, I feel like, so the Montessori philosophy is all about sort of following the child, right? And, and observing the child and encouraging independence and kind of guiding versus, right? Am I right in that saying that kind of explaining that? So I would love to hear how I feel like a lot of the times as parents, we feel like we need to do a lot, like we need to 
be the one that's, you know, getting them dressed and, and kind of making them dinner, getting their water, doing all these things for them. And I love that Montessori encourages that independence because to me, that's just, first of all, awesome because we want our kids to be independent, but then also because it takes so much pressure off of us where we're not feeling like we're the people that just have to constantly be catering and doing everything under the sun for our kids. And it gives them that sense of responsibility. So I would love to hear some like some ways that people could maybe start to, to integrate that Montessori philosophy into their parenting. You know, I feel like a lot of, a lot of times parents feel like they have to have a certain type of like a certain type of toy or a certain sized house or a certain, you know, they have to have, you know, this specific item in order to like do Montessori. And I feel like that's sort of more what we're seeing like on social media versus what truly like Montessori is truly like from within, you know, and how can we implement that with, and of course, buying the things, right, is is great. But if we can't, we can still implement and kind of take from the philosophy. So I would love to just hear your thoughts about that, how we can start, how people could start that at home. Absolutely. You know, um, I really feel for the mommies and daddies that are out there looking on Pinterest at these beautiful Montessori shelves. And I, I just look at them, I'll scroll through and they are beautiful for about 25 seconds until that one-year-old or two-year-old gets a a hold of them. And then it's just a disaster. And it does look cute and it does look pretty um, for when friends come over or when you want to post your uh, shelfie. But at the same time, (laughs) and you know, there's a point to that because we do appreciate the beauty and the harmony um, that a Montessori environment brings. But you're exactly right, Alana, in that Montessori is more a language you speak rather than a device you buy. And I'll be honest with you, you know, I've, I've got the certification and all of that. I've only bought one Montessori material for my children, and that's the movable alphabet. I got it on Craigslist for like, you know, 10 bucks. And so it, my seven-year-old uses it for his alphabetization work. My four-year-old uses it to spell out the three-letter words. But the rest of our days are spent on having our children manage their own time, meaning, you know what, lunch is going to be great. You're going to make your own lunch, but you need to get through X, Y, and Z first. It didn't start there, though. It started with when you do X, I will help you do Y. So, for example, the one-year-old, she's learning book, Libro, right? I'm talking to her about her little books. She can identify that there's a book in the the living room, and I might say, go get your book. Well, the first time she didn't really understand what I said, of course, and you've seen, you know, your littles, um, you know, come into understanding, but now she understands that if she goes and brings me a book, I will read it, read it to her. Mm-hmm. You know, later on, you know, as the child gets a little bit bigger, you know, it might be, okay, let's go outside. Can you find your shoes? Well, the child might be able to find their shoes and bring them to you. That's as much as they're able to do. Later on, they might be able to tap their little foot with their shoe and then you help put it on. Later, they might be able to put the socks on and you help them. So we scaffold that independence, but it's always you do something first for yourself and I'm going to help you the rest of the way. So they're initiating, they're initiating, which I love. Exactly. And, you know, that goes along with toilet training too. So we are putting our little one on the toilet, you know, every couple of hours or whatnot. And she understands that, hey, 
Um, when she has this indicator or when her face looks like this, you know, I'm going to take her to the toilet. Right. And so, um, but it doesn't start that way. And certainly dressing and undressing is a big part of toilet training. Well, I might just put the little t-shirt over her head and let her pull down. Right. So she's not Mm -hmm. expected to do something that's over her ability level, but what can she do? Can she indicate that she wants the pink shirt versus the blue shirt today? Can she just gaze at that? So it it starts at different levels. And that's why Montessori for special needs children can work so beautifully because wherever they are, verbal, nonverbal, and I'm not an expert in special needs or anything like that, but I've just seen it over and over. So I think no matter what age your child is, whether they're 18 years old, whether they're eight years old or eight months old, you can get them interacting in their environment in a way that shows their initiative. And it allows you to step in when and if. So my middle child, when I was pregnant, I was super tired. And my middle child mm-hmm. quickly became a middle child, like the day I became pregnant. And so she, <laughs> she said, I'm hungry. Okay, can you go? She could not go make her own peanut butter and jelly sandwich at that point. But what she could do, she could get all the ingredients and line them up. Yep. The bread, the jam, and the peanut butter. She could do that. I'll go do the rest. Now she's fully making her own sandwiches. That's just a small example of, when you do this, I will do for you. And that's one small facet of Montessori, but it's a very practical way that we as parents can have our children gain more and more independence. And it is a cultural thing. I think I just happen to be, I used to be a nanny with an agency and I would do some of these practices even before I knew what Montessori was with some of the children. And not all of the parents liked it because they were paying me <laughs> to make sandwiches. Do everything for my kid. And you're like, but... Right then they're not going to be able to do anything for themselves when they grow up. Yeah. So I had one of the 10 year olds make toast and the parents didn't like that, but you know what? It's a cultural thing. And once you see your child, um, you know, the first time my husband saw my, my five-year-old bringing the dumpster down to the street for trash day, he was just amazed. And he said, Oh uh, yeah. You know, number one, my job just got easier, but number two, I didn't realize Mm -hmm. uh, that he could start that early. And children are proud to do things that they see adults do. That's why we have play kitchens and play lawnmowers. Yep. They want to do. And so if that means they are watering plants, that they are so happy to do those things or getting out, you know, all their clothes for the day. So just a, again, a, just a brief snapshot of what some parents can do at home to scaffold that independence. I love that. And it's so funny that you mentioned lawn mowing because my six-year-old just asked me yesterday. So he's wanted to lawn mow. Like he's wanted to be the person to mow the lawn for the past, like he's six, probably for the past three years. And, you know, we keep telling him, you know, it's unsafe, you know, with the blade, like I've been trying to figure out a way to actually get him to like, let him do that. Like whether it's buying a push mower where he really just has to push it. And, you know, we dole down the blades or something. I don't know, because he's just obsessed. And then last yesterday, he said, when can I get a real lawnmower? And I said, well, you know, I think the age they recommend is like 10 or something for them to be able to really push the lawnmower by themselves. So we said, okay, well, for my ninth birthday, which is in three years, can we start to look at lawnmowers? And I was like, sure. Yes. And he's like, promise. I'm like, yes. Okay, sure. But yeah, I mean, giving them, I think one of the things that I love, and again, it's like almost like lazy, it's like laziness in my part, like me being able to say, for example, yesterday, my kids were, you know, we were home and I was going to throw laundry in. So I said, okay, I need you to go up 
get your hampers and bring them to the laundry room. And so they both went up, they got their hampers, they dragged them down to the laundry room. They're like, like canvas. So they're, you know, they're, they're light and they're easy. And I kind of did that on purpose so that they could take that responsibility versus like a hard plastic hamper or like a wicker one that was maybe heavier. So they dragged their hampers into the laundry room. And then I'm like, okay, we're going to do Henry's first. So then it's like, he pulls all his clothes out of the hamper. I mean, you know, they have like basic clothes. It's not like we're, you know, separating. I'm not like a laundry separator. I'm like, everything goes in, wash it on cold, throw it in the dryer. Like, and if it doesn't, if it can't do that, then we don't own it, you know, for the most part. I mean, we do have some stuff that like goes on delicate or whatever, but, um, so I'm like, okay, put your clothes in, you know, and then I do the, so, you know, I do the detergent and then they like to press the button and it makes like a cool little noise. And, and then it's just, even though I'm still having to do it and I'm still having to kind of go through the process with them, eventually, and in the next year or two, they will be able to take control of that process. And it's, it's interesting that you say that you talk about parents who didn't want you doing that. And I, so we had an au pair. And one of the first things that I said to her was, do not do everything for my kids. I don't want you like I was like, you are not cleaning up the playroom without them. You're not folding their laundry. Like if they're home and they're sitting next to you, they are participating. Give them a job. So here you match the socks or you, you know, and she was like, okay, you know, and and it was interesting that you just said that because it just makes me think I feel like part of the issue with that is that maybe parents don't really have the education, the understanding behind why that's so important. So they think that, you know, they, they just don't really get it. So when you, and of course, like they're probably not, if, if they're hiring you to be their nanny, you know, they might not necessarily appreciate like being told all about it from your perspective, because I can understand parents, you know, sometimes they can be a little bit self-defensive, but I think that educating parents about the importance of that and how that helps like their child's future by saying, Hey, if your child can do something for themselves and you're still doing it for them, you're taking away an opportunity for them to learn and grow. And like then in the future when they're, you know, this is why we have these like, you know, 18 year olds who like don't know how to wash a dish or fold a pair of whatever, and they don't know how to do their laundry or they don't know. And, you know, it's like, it's just unfortunate because I think that there's so, like you said, there's, there's so much learning, but there's so much pride in being able to do things for yourself. And, you know, I see that in my kids and I'm, I'm sure you see it in yours when they, and I'm sure anybody, even if you don't necessarily know or follow this philosophy, but when your kid does something, whether it's, they drew something for the first time, or they folded a shirt, or they were able to clean up a mess or whatever it was like, they get so excited. And why not, to me, like, as a lazy parent, why not harness that, and kind of have them doing these things that just take responsibility and like a load off of you so that you can focus on other things. Because it's not like we have all this extra free time as parents to be doing all these things. And, you know, it, it would be nice to have that a little bit of that time back. I don't know if you have thoughts about that, but. There's a very well-known quote by Dr. Montessori 
And the quote is never do for a child what he can do for himself. Mm -hmm. I love it. And so in the environment, in the Montessori classroom, we call it the environment, you'll see a well-trained teacher do that. You know, a child might forget to push in their chair. They might forget to do uh, something with their snack table or whatever it is. And sometimes the teacher might just indicate by maybe touching the back of the chair that they need to go and push it for themselves. But certainly a well-trained Montessori teacher is not going to be going around cleaning up after the students. And at home, neither will we do that here. And so also natural consequences are big. And I'm, you know, I'm sure any well-versed parent understands that, but it's, it hurts me more than it hurts you. You're right. When you see, you know, uh, your child have to have a consequence. I told my, my eight-year-old uh, just yesterday, hey, if you can clean up the living room and get your teeth brushed by X time, then you'll get your screen time or whatever it was. And he was like, okay, mom. Well, he, he went off into La La Land or whatever. He just didn't get it done. He was shocked. <laughs> I don't know why, but he was shocked. I was just going to say, there. It, I look at my kids and I'm like, this has never worked for you. Like you whining or you doing this, like it has never once gotten you what you want, but yet somehow it just like surprises you every single time that it doesn't work. And I'm like, I don't get it. And it truly did hurt me more than it hurt him. And I said, I'm so sorry. We're just not going to be able to do it. I hope next time, you know, you can get to it faster. And that's a lesson he's learning because we're all here at home still. We're all kind of on top of each other. It can be a casual environment at home, but I'm still teaching him that there are consequences to his actions and his inactions. And, you know, that can be learned from um, very young ages when, you know, again, just with the baby, when she goes and gets me her book, I will read her the book. And so, you know, I will say the cultural aspect of it is pretty important because the Montessori community tends to bring a lot of academics around. It tends to be kind of be a magnet for international families. And mm-hmm. so we love that and we love that diversity, but there is a big diversity in parenting styles. And I will say that some cultures really do a lot for their children, but we have to remind these parents that parenting is a sliding scale. Our children will always need us, even when they're 45, 55, 65, they mm-hmm. need us in a different way. So if our children really don't need us to necessarily feed them by spoon, right? And I will say that some of, some cultures I've seen feed their children by spoon, maybe by like all the way up to like five years old, just because they want to do and do for their children. Yeah. It's like, you feel like you want to care for your child, but you're really like um, inhibiting their growth. Correct. Right. And then we want to empower those children. So we teach them to kind of back off that way, but then implement those um, boundaries with their children so that they're still being the parent. They're still parenting the child, but they're not babying the child. And Mm -hmm. so it is, it takes some time to learn that language, but there's some amazing books out there. There There's some amazing resources, podcasts like yours, other resources out there where people are really showing you how to be there in the nitty gritty in the trenches with your children and how to render them not only uh, more independent, but happier and more joyful because those children can do for themselves, right? Not everything, but enough to where they feel very joyful throughout their day. Yeah, I love that. And you talked about the environment. And I will say, you know, for example, like little things I feel like parents can do too, is like, think about the environment from the child's perspective. So if you want them to be able to get their backpacks, well, their backpacks can't be on hooks that are five feet tall, unless your kid is five five feet tall, you know, so having things that are lower to the ground, like we have 
a pull-out drawer that has plates and cups and things like that so that they can go get their own plates when it's time for dinner. They can go if they are thirsty. I'm like, well, you know where the cups are. You know how to get water from the fridge. I mean, even my two-year-old can get her own water. Now she dumps it on the floor half the time, but then I give her a towel and I'm like, okay, now you can clean that up which she loves to do. And I'm like, all right, perfect. You know, and so we do like on the weekends too, we we try to do like Sunday when is when we kind of clean the house, you know, and I'll give them like little tasks like, okay, you know, we have a really lightweight vacuum. So I'm like, okay, you know, you need to vacuum. And of course it's going to be not, might not be to my standard. Maybe they miss a couple spots or whatever, but that's, you know, you kind of have to let that go, I think. So you don't like crush their spirit. And so just like kind of having things like that, like little things that you can kind of give to them without worrying about them. Obviously, you don't want them getting hurt or anything. So you're not going to give them like bleach, right? Like you need to be thinking about that safety stuff. But, you know, they can clean, get a, you know, make a, a cleaner with like a very mild soap and a spray bottle and, you know, go clean the counters or whatever it is. I feel like that's such like a way to empower them. And having things at their level so that they can actually access it. Because I think, and I talk about that with toys too, because parents, you know, they want to store toys. And I'm like, well, if you store them that way, then they're not accessible to your child. So that that means they're like, hey, mom, I need you to get this. That's just one more way that you're having to do something for them, which I think is something that most people don't necessarily think of. The other thing I wanted, I loved that you talked about two things. I love that you talked about the time, like managing their own time. I think that's what you were talking about. And what I love too about Montessori is that you let the child work and you let them do what they're doing. And for an extended period of time, so for, and and that translates for me when we're home because, you know, I don't do academic work at home because my kids go to school. So I'm like, we don't do anything like that because they get that there. And when they're home, it's free play, outdoor time, unstructured time, art time, book time, all that stuff. So when they're playing though, you know, I think parents sometimes, you know, they'll see their kid playing and their kid will be building something. And then the parent like interjects themselves. Oh, what are you building? Oh, that, you know, and they want to kind of put themselves into the situation. And what I love about Montessori is it's more about stepping back and observing. And I think that's maybe like a principle of Montessori that parents should try to lean into a little bit more because, you know, you're, you're, and I hate to say it, but you're really interrupting your kid when they're in the middle of doing something, even if it's building a block, you know, building with blocks or, daydream, whatever it is that they're doing, you're interrupting them by kind of inserting yourself. And of course, as parents, sometimes we have to do that. Like if we have to leave or, you know, whatever, I'm not saying that, you know, they kind of just get to do whatever, but when they're in the middle of doing something, it's so hard to stop yourself from wanting to like participate. But I think that it's important for them to kind of have that time without interruption. And I love that about Montessori. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think some parents feel like they might have to teach their children how to play, for example, Mm -hmm. Uh, teach them how to interact with the cars and such. And it it really doesn't have to be like that. Um, You know, a well-trained teacher in the classroom will wait for the child to kind of come up out of concentration. So like lunchtime Mm -hmm. is about to happen. 
if that child is moving their hands in coordination with their mind, so they are definitely engaged, we are going to wait. And then we might, if we really must interrupt, we might just tap the shoulder and allow them to come out of that uh, concentration. If not, we're going to wait for them to kind of start to look around and then say, you know what, it's lunchtime. Can you go ahead and pull that up? Yeah. Pull that up? Same thing at home. And you know what? Our best asset is letting our children be bored. I'll be honest with you. And that is so hard for parents because... I have a whole article about that. I'm like, boredom is good for your kids. Stop like doing things like you. They need that. That's when they have time to be creative. And also just when they can sit in that discomfort of boredom, that's like where growth happens when you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. You find your passions. You find what brings you that joy. And it's just like, I just want to be like, you're not an entertainer. Stop. You don't have to do yes. everything. And like always, kids don't always have to be happy and doing activities and setting up all these different things for them. Just like let them sit in that. Absolutely. My son came up with a whole board game that he just found a random piece of cardboard in the recycling bin. And he was like, I'm going to make a game. But that was after a period of him just kind of wandering around the house not really sure what to do. I'm doing my work. I'm engaged in my stuff. And he just came up with this thing all on his own. And he was so proud. Like nobody understood the rules of the game, but he wanted all his buddies to play it. And we all played it at home that night. And it was such an accomplishment for him that he, he has it on a little display shelf in his room. So those are those instant moments that we cannot cultivate for our children. We only have to have an environment to where it will happen. My four-year-old, she's very independent and she, I will suggest a chore to her. She'll be like, mom, I kind of have my own idea. She went and she squeegeed the whole front glass window. I'm like, that's great. It's good for your coordination. Look, she had to come up with her own. What supplies do I need? How do I, yeah, do I have to bring them all out together? How do I accomplish this task? That is what we call executive function. And it was great. So I observed in my mind, okay, she figured out how to complete this whole task and how to put it all away. She's ready for maybe some next steps later on, but I wouldn't have a chance to observe that in her if I had just said, here, do this now, do this next. So I like what you say about that too, about having things accessible to the children. That is definitely a tenant of Montessori. It's such a multifaceted thing. And so, you know, I've been studying Montessori for about 15 years and there's still things that I learn on a daily basis. And so for parents, you know, that do see that perfect Pinterest image or they see that perfect shelf in a real classroom, remember that at home, you're not serving 25 to 30 children. You're serving your children. Your child is unique, right? And your child might be neurodiverse. Your child might be typically developing all kinds of things. And so, what works for your child. Look, I'll be honest with you, true confession. We use a lot of workbooks at our house, right? I'll be honest with you. I get them from the dollar store, right? So I'm not going to like, you know, the highest and the best and the right, but because I want my child to be able to say, okay, I've got one math page to do. I'm going to write a crazy invention. That's one of his things that he does. And he does like a Bible verse or whatever it is. He knows he's got to get those three things done. And it's none of my business how long it takes him. He just might get hungry if he chooses to dawdle because it's got to be done by lunchtime. And that's just our personal rule. That might be what other people don't do. But again, if you don't have to have $3,000, $10,000 worth of materials to be able to speak the Montessori language of independence, basically is what it is. I love that. 
Awesome. So we're going to wrap up, but I want you to tell people where they can find you. If you have a place that you want to direct them, you can let them know if you have social media, all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate that. So I wrote a guidebook on toilet learning and just helping your child be more independent. So a lot of those skills um, that I touched on today can be found there. So if you just go to toiletlearningguidebook.com, you can see the PDF right then and there. So toiletlearningguidebook.com. Professionally, I help manage MontessoriLibrary.com. That's a great resource for parents to dive further into this philosophy and practice of Montessori. So MontessoriLibrary.com. And also, if you want to hear or read about lots of great things going on in the world of Montessori, and I'm talking about also in elder care, there's a lot of great improvements going on in dementia patients, Alzheimer's patients, elder care communities that are using the Montessori principles. It's amazing. And so I've covered a lot of that at MontessoriPost.com. It's a well-read e-magazine. It's published once a month, and I've had a lot of help along the way. Um, It's a product of uh, CGMS.edu, which is the education company I told you I work with. But lots of great things going on in Montessori on different ends of the spectrum, of course, in the neurodiverse spectrum as well. So check all those out. And feel free to reach out at any time. I'd love to continue the conversation. Awesome. And we will link all of those in the show notes so that you can easily find them. And thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you. You don't want to miss out, right? Woo-hoo. Hey, friend. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Play, Learn, Thrive show. I'm happy you stopped by for another week of learning with me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. I so appreciate your feedback. I'd also love for you to join our community of over 20,000 parents on Instagram. You can find us at Play, Learn, Thrive Kids. 